0: you're listening to two guys talking wine with michael pincus and andre Prue. good morning michael andre what the heck did you set up for us
1: this time uh i think there was a little bit of a, a both of us we got an email out of the blue uh from a guy named paul k out on the west coast of the united states
0: and and I said, you take this one, and you just ran with that ball.
1: That's right. Paul uh, hosts a podcast and uh, has been a wine vendor for a very long time. And he hosts a podcast called Wine Talks. Uh, and when I did my research before we booked the guest, it looks like he actually uh, is sort of the West Coast version of us. <laughs>
0: There, there is no other version of us. But if you want to put that uh, moniker on somebody and, and hang that albatross on anybody's neck, sure, let's give it to
2: Paul. So, it's two guys talking wine. I think of it Southern California, it'd be like two dudes rapping, you know, Vino or something, right? <laughs> but, we're, we're in, but we're up in Canada, and you are, uh, one's, in, one's in Quebec. Ah uh, no no right. we're
1: both in we're both in Ontario just uh, if you take a look at the Great Lakes there's Lake Ontario there uh, Michael yes. is just a stone's throw away from Buffalo and I'm a little bit further up the highway in Toronto.
0: We're we're in what's called the Golden Horseshoe so I'm at the bottom of the horseshoe and Andre's
2: basically at the top of the horseshoe. Okay, so since my since so I've only been to Canada once and that was in Montreal for the 1976 Olympics. And I was not el- eligible to drink wine at that time. Well, actually, I tried to buy something. <laughs> I tried to buy a six-pack of beer on a Sunday. In Quebec, you can do that any age. Okay, not in 1976, because I got yelled out of the liquor store. That's probably because well, you didn't so speak angry. French. She, yes, in French. She was so angry. I'm like, <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> so. yeah, it's because you, did, you didn't speak French. I think uh, in Quebec, you're born with a six-pack. Yeah, you probably are, because uh, in, in, in my dad's wine shop, I mean, the liquor store in Palos Verdes in Southern California, I could walk in and get all the beer I wanted. I didn't think it was really a big deal to do. Uh, so tell me about I want to talk to you guys a little bit about the podcast. And we're going to get into the, the, the consumer confusion of wine in Canada and some of the COVID restrictions that have caused a lot of problems throughout the world, but uh, particularly in Southern California, I want to talk about Canada. But tell me your background in wine, your, your wine writers um, – Critics, per se, were you tasting wines and rating them? What do you What do you do with your wine background? Well,
0: age before beauty here, Andre. So I guess that's me. Yeah, there you have <laughs> it. Uh, so uh, I've been a wine writer for uh, for over 16 years. Started uh, uh, by just loving Ontario wine, and um, I, I I don't know how many people in California know that Ontario makes you know not just ice wine, but actually you know real honest to god cab franc, chardonnay, pinot noir, mm-hmm. all kinds of great stuff. And uh, I just I just started a, a website and then uh, blossomed from there. So I I travel as much as possible, not a, not this year obviously, and not last year, uh, tasting all kinds of wine, writing about it. Um,
2: and uh, I'm a I'm a guy who drinks and I know things. Well, there you have it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm sure you could wax poetic after you do that, and so. But, uh, tell me a little bit. Well, go ahead, Andre. You tell yeah, me Yeah,
1: little bit. Yeah, I sort of started amazing. a similar way to, to Michael, but it was a little bit by accident. Um, I grew up in, in Western Canada, just north of North Dakota. So it's, I think, a lot of similar industry, a lot of ranch land and farmland up there. And when I moved to uh, Ontario in 2007, I got my hands on every bottle of Ontario wine that I could. And I, I can't emphasize this enough. We make more than ice wine here in Canada. <laughs> uh, it's a really great Pinot and Chard and, and Cab Franc if you're looking to to check it out. But, um, I work as a producer at News Talk 1010, one of the largest talk radio stations in Canada. And they, um, they basically forced me to do a weekly segment on wine. And I was just like, yo, I, I don't know anything about wine. Uh, and they said, well, oh, wow. the listeners don't know that. And, um, You know, I kind of took the opportunity to learn as much as I could, and my paths led me to Michael. And to be perfectly honest, uh, Michael having a few years under his belt uh, definitely influenced and sort of took me under his wing a little bit with our tasting together. And, um, you know, about five years ago, we started uh, the podcast together because he has a broadcasting background as well. And that's how things came together. And we sort of become the uh, de facto insider information on what's happening in uh, Ontario for uh, consumers and for producers. So if uh, anyone wants to learn anything about Ontario wine, we've got a really great series called the Legacy Series where we actually talk to the people who founded the Ontario wine industry and uh, you know I know it's a long-winded thing to say but if you're an American and you love your Oregon wine the industry in Ontario mm-hmm. started about the exact same time with kind of the same sort of mindset. So, you know, when when Dickie Rath and uh, David Lett were planting their vines, we had Donald Zeraldo and um shoot, I'm having a brain fart, Michael. Kaiser. Carl Kaiser I heard that. Uh,
0: Carl, Carl Kaiser, Don Zeraldo. Yeah.
1: Those are the people who founded founded our industry. So lots of stuff to well, check out.
0: They they started the first first post prohibition winery. Uh, in Ontario.
1: With Venefra. People With don't realize
0: that, that Ontario had prohibition as well. Yeah. Just, I was just our ask prohibition that question. led to monopoly, uh, whereas the American prohibition led to a little bit more of a free enterprise.
2: Yeah, well don't get me started on Joe Kennedy. <laughs> but this is interesting a uh, grassroots uh, approach to this and for the cu- for the listeners ice wine is basically wine made from frozen grapes and I think to call it ice wine it actually has to be frozen in nature now you can't just put it in your refrigerator correct and, yes. and squish it but has tell me it min-
0: uh, has to be minus 10 degrees and then it gets uh, it, it freezes on the vine and then it gets that uh, pressed while it's still at
2: minus 10 It's it's and by it, the way it's, it's not 18, a bad 18, thing it's 18 degrees 18 degrees that,
1: right? Fahrenheit for your listeners not minus yes, 8 correct, not yes, minus yes, 8 yes, thank Fahrenheit. you <laughs>
2: Tell me, uh, also for the listeners, we are very familiar with the, the Niagara Peninsula. Lots of wines from there, reds and whites, uh, interesting varietals. But other parts of Canada, the, the provinces, where are there interesting wines to have besides Ontario? British Columbia would be number one outside of Ontario.
1: If you love, uh, mm-hmm. like, if you love California or Washington, BC, like the Okanagan is definitely a place to look. Um, we've got some really cool up-and-coming stuff that is. So under the radar, I think most Canadians wouldn't know about it in Quebec. They're doing a lot. That's of stuff mostly
0: uh, a lot of um, hybrids, uh, iced cider,
1: yeah, mm-hmm. which is
0: which is really good. And then they're doing a lot of uh, crazy little uh, varietals out there, and, and they're uh, using things called geotextiles to keep the uh, the grapes. Uh,
1: Yeah, so the thing, like, I mean, Canada's cold in the winter, but we have pretty decent summers. Uh, A lot of the climate's really good for growing grapes. Um, And then out on the East Coast in Nova Scotia, uh, there's some wineries making some excellent sparkling wine, uh, some really good Pinot Noir and Chardonnay starting to make an appearance. But um, some people, I don't know if you've heard of Benjamin Bridge, but they've been uh, popping up on some international tastings uh, side to side with some champagne that they've been doing quite well with.
0: And so the when nice you say, thing, P, P. I think PEI and New Brunswick are also kind of just dipping their toes into the idea of making
2: wine as well. When you say cold, are we talking snow during the winter?
1: It snowed oh, uh, this week in, in in Toronto. We got about, uh, what, four inches, Michael?
0: Well, it depends where in Toronto you are. If you're nearer the lake, it's less. But if you're um, here in, here in St. Catharines, we got,
2: I would say, about two. Because, you know... Uh, I bought, a, I bought a wine club years ago, 1994 actually, and I went to Millbrook, New York, to consummate the transaction, and I'm seeing these folks out there in three feet of snow with their dry suits on pruning, and I, and I thought to myself at the time, what a labor of love, uh, particularly in New York where the wines aren't necessarily all that great, at least they weren't, uh, but to be out there in these temperatures, uh, you know, pretty large vineyard to be pruning, is that is that what happens here? Um, at these frozen tundras here that we have in in Ontario or in Canada when we're trying to yep. get yeah, through we're, we're, winter. We're
0: very close to New York, so yes, that yep, that, that what you saw in New York is is what happens here in Ontario. It's the I other will thing. have to say though that uh, and and not to not to badmouth New York, uh, but I know many <laughs> many people who come over from New York State taste our wine because we're more European. In, in our way of making wine, whereas mm-hmm. New York is kind of the Wild West, and, uh, and, and they do a lot of sweet wine, sweet reds, sweet whites down in New York. Uh, not all of it, but I mean, there's, there's quite a bit, uh, whereas we lean a little drier
2: um, in our wine style. I had an amazing uh, conversation with a woman named Tilar Mazio. Tilar Mazio is a New York Times bestselling author. She's written a few books. She's also written a couple travel books in the back roads of Napa and Sonoma. But she lives on Vancouver Island. Um, and I, I contacted her because of one particular book she had written called The Hotel at Place Vendome about the occupation of Paris during the war. But as we were talking, as I was researching her to ask her questions, I find she owns a winery on Vancouver Island. And I thought, how fascinating is that? Uh, in that, who goes there for wine? And she ends up making sparkling wine there. It's under the RAW R A W um, flag, which is a, an organization out of uh, UK by a uh, MW named Isabel um, Legeron. And so, raw wine means like you you just you don't do anything, right? You just, whatever is delivered to you from the farm and how you handle the farm. You don't even you don't even uh, till the soil because that oxygen kills some of the microbes uh, and you don't disgorge the sparkling wine which is what she makes so you leave all the floating leaves and things floating around the wine which doesn't sound all that appealing but you know there are people that like the raw movement oh pet nats uh, are very we podcast, very trendy
0: pet uh, nats start are... off our seasons uh, calling trends that we uh, we wished would die <laughs> and Andre, I think raw was one of those things. Wasn't I don't it? think we're calling it. I don't
1: think we're calling it necessarily raw, but uh, I mean, a lot of wineries in Ontario are making pet nats, and the the natural wine movement is alive and well among the the hipsters of, of Toronto, and yes. uh, some very interesting curated wine lists. But I do find with a lot of these wine bars, it's a bit of Russian roulette when you walk in. It's either going to be excellent, or you're painting your ceiling with it.
2: Yeah, there's a there's a serious. Uh, mm, chasm between, I don't know if, I, I can't say properly made, and is not, not even a real word, but let's just say uh, biodynamic wines. You, there are some that you, obviously when you taste them, that they're biodynamic or raw in this case. Uh, and there's other ones that, you know, actually have pretty good finesse, and pretty good character. They're different. They're fresher, they're younger, they're brighter, but at least you don't taste like you're having uh, horse manure, you know? Yeah. That's, that's the biggest problem with like the, this raw <laughs> wine. I don't like
0: pet nat. I, Find that one to be one of those. Th- Do you have that in California? I'm going to assume no, no. I don't even know what it is. Pets. So it's, it's, it's like Petit that Naterale raw that yeah. where they where they don't filter the wine. It's uh, basically that's wine, sparkling yet. wine. It's a cheap way to make a sparkling wine, and uh, there's so much bottle variation. When you pop the cap, yeah, half of it ends up on your ceiling uh, because it's still fermenting in that bottle, uh, and and it and it ends up being you know pretty expensive stuff uh, for half a bottle of wine. But the hipsters you know, it's love it. It's, it's, it's basically it.
1: wines undergoing primary fermentation still, uh, as opposed to a secondary fermentation in the bottle.
2: Oh, I see. It says two fermentations, or c- could be eventually two fermentations, increasing the atmospheres and maybe p- causing problems along the way. No, but you know, it's, it's interesting because this woman, uh, I w- I'm going to guess the raw movement that she's part of, because the raw movement doesn't just deal with sparkling wine, it's all wines, that it's probably similar to that. You know, I, she doesn't filter. She doesn't fine it. Um... I don't know if she primary, the primary fermentation is done in the bottle or not. Uh, and she's trying to sell it to one of those organizations now that and she went out of business, by the way, and that's the next subject about COVID, but she went out of business because of COVID. Oh, okay. And she has 300 cases of, of this stuff. And so she, she sent to one of the organizations like mine that only sells wines of that character. And, you know, they do lab analysis and stuff like that. Have you seen, before we get into the COVID thing, uh Burgundy, uh, France is, is learning new trellising and new farming techniques because there's been an increase in temperature. Um, sparkling wine out of England because now there's it's, it's hospitable towards uh, f- grapes that make champagne, Pinot Noir, and Chardonnay. Um, have, is there been an effect of, I'm not going to call it global warming, just the climate change in, in Canada as far as grapes are concerned?
0: Well, we, we would... I hate to say this, we would welcome a little bit warmer of a climate.
1: <laughs> you know, and the, I think the other thing that it's hard to pinpoint whether or not it's had a huge impact because the the other thing is the industry here is so young that naturally the the winemaking has gotten more consistent as people have gotten better at it. We have a college that teaches winemaking down in Niagara as well, but I know when I first started writing about wine in 2010, we had some really great wineries that were vastly inconsistent. Um and, you know, the thing about the climate in Niagara on that on that peninsula right close to the lake is it does really well with a lot of different varieties of grapes. And it, it's almost like there's a bit of a debate about whether or not the climate is more Bordeaux and more Burgundian. So, like, you'll get really excellent, elegant, you know, finesse, like, Pinot Noirs. And, you know, in a hot summer, like, 2020 in Niagara was blistering hot, like, lots of days above 90. Uh, I'm sure we hit 100 a couple of days, which is... Uh, Michael, did we hit a hundred a couple days?
0: Wow. Um, I I don't remember a hundred. That's dramatic. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure we, we could, we're, we're, we're seeing a lot more, uh, as with everyone else, extreme weather. So like the winter of 13, 14 and then 14, 15 were incredibly cold winters. So Andre, you'll have to do the, uh, the, uh, the translation again, but it hit minus minus thirty three I, actually, I think at it, minus thirty-two. Yeah, it, the, the, it, hit, it hit zero,
1: it, which is the temperature that that kills vines. Vines don't come back yeah. <laughs> after it gets to gets to zero. So,
0: so like, we hit minus thirty-two and, and minus thirty-six in both those winters, and we we lost thirty percent of the crop the uh, one year, and then another thirty percent the next year. Wow! Uh, although fifteen was a great growing season, it was it was very uh, it was a very short crop kind of season. Yeah. Um, so we are seeing those those crazy. Uh, extremes, and you know the Niagara Falls does not freeze. It actually froze both winters. It had yeah. it hadn't froze in a hundred years. Wow! And then it froze I think I read that. two years in a row.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think I read about that. In fact, there's pictures that were phenomenal about that. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, and this is not a political show, so I'm just I'm not venturing into the subject <laughs> for any political reason. But. I was reading one of the Tilar's book is called Widow Clicquot. And since, she, and I think that was probably inspired her to make sparkling wine in Vancouver Island. But, um, there was a mini ice age in Champagne, France in the late 1700s, and early 1800s. It lasted like 15 years, like a cool wave that, could have destroyed almost all the vines it didn't and people survived it but i thought how interesting is that there's a mini ice age that's kind of what we're going through the opposite but whatever let's not talk about that but you <laughs> said you did say something you might be considered politically incorrect and that'll lead us to the covid conversation and that is uh, you're talking about you know you could do use some more wymy, war, warming weather i'm like where's covid 20 because Covid for the wine business, at least the direct-to-consumer side, has been phenomenal on all fronts. I mean, Wine.com, uh, Wine Access, um, all my young, the small competitors like me, have all have uh-huh, all uh-huh. experienced a, a great spike in the consumer trends. And this is um, where we
1: get to see the the real big difference between the United States and Canada.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wait, we, we why what
0: happened? We, well our, 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 win- our wineries saw a bit of a, a spike, especially at the beginning so like in April and May because they were all closed uh, and they, and they started to see uh, a little bit of a, of a spike uh, in sales, uh, especially online sales. But when your online sales start out at you know almost nothing, you know any kind yeah. of jump <laughs> is, is a big deal. Uh, and then we opened up a little bit for the summer, July, August, September, October, and then, you know, I think mid-October, we we shut it down once again. Um, and, you know, it's gone online again. Uh, the problem here is that, uh, you know, we don't have—Andre, I think there's only one shipping company that actually ships wine, because Canada Post refuses to do wine.
1: Well, and apart from that, too, we have a government monopoly in Ontario, so— the vast, vast majority of sales are run through the LCBO, the Liquor Control Board of Ontario, which mm-hmm. is an organization that was created post-prohibition. We had prohibition in Canada, not as bad as the United States, uh, but it has had a long-lasting impact on the industry. Most people don't order wines from wineries direct. Um, and there are a handful of wineries that have licenses for private stores that largely existing in grocery stores or in in plazas, but the companies that hold these licenses are generally making mass-produced, factory-produced wine, bulk wine purchased from outside of Canada, blended with inferior hybrid grapes in Canada or cheap bulk wine in Canada, and then sold to consumers for eight, nine dollars a bottle, which in Canada is quite expensive because the LCBO doesn't give us any breaks on our prices. Uh, I guess the bottom line is the, the wineries here are struggling, um, they naturally weren't mm. able to hire as many people as they normally would, uh, because a lot of their wineries use migrant labor. It was a challenge in the spring, like right when COVID hit, to get our workers in from Mexico and Vietnam and and uh, Jamaica, where a lot of the the workers come from. It was uh, it was a complete and utter gong show, just how the the wine industry outside the Liquor Control Board of Ontario managed to get through the beginning of the pandemic
0: and ju- and just to let you know paul how how the lcbo works the lcbo has uh what's called a floor price which means you cannot sell wine under this price so like mm. something like 2 buck chuck even if it came to ontario would have to be uh at least i think the floor price is about 785 these days yep. so it would have to be $7.85 and 7 buck uh, chuck just doesn't price. have the same it ring could to it it not go any lower
1: 7 buck chuck just doesn't have seven, the same seven ring seven to it
2: 7 buck chuck <laughs> yeah <laughs> You know, that's interesting because when I started hanging around my dad's wine shop in the 70s, uh, it was very similar to that in California. I'm not sure if it was a federal thing or not. Probably not. Where um, I could not sell Jack Daniels or we could not sell Jack Daniels cheaper than the other guy. We couldn't sell uh, at that time the same on Dobby Cab cheaper than the other guy. There was a book called Patterson's. That was the Bible. That's what the prices you charge. They weren't controlled like it sounds like you you have in Canada. still have. So it sounds like to me... Um, you you have no walk-in trade, you have no tasting room trade, and there's really no direct-to-consumer trade because, as we talked off-camera there a little bit, that you cannot ship amongst uh, stores and residents in Ontario. How about the other provinces? Can you ship uh, between uh, a, a retail store or a state store to to a consumer? Not A retail legally. store a state store? What are you talking about? Yeah, not legally. <laughs> yeah, <sorry. laughs> Am I nuts? Oh. I mean—
1: Oh, it's insane. We, like. Listen, Michael and I have been beating that that drum for a a long time, and you know, I've written columns. I, I've written a column columns in newspapers in the past, where you know, I proudly, I proudly flout the law as much as I can. Thankfully, Canada Post isn't too. Diligent with checking packages, so I'll discreetly send a case of wine, say, to a family member outside of the province that they can't get in Ontario. But the consumer, the consumer. Mm-hmm. The now
0: you've been
2: flagged, Andre. You have to pack the hell out of it. Right, oh, I, listen,
1: I've, ri- I've written, I wrote about it in a nationally distributed newspaper. If they haven't caught me yet, I don't think it's going to happen no. yeah.
0: <laughs> now. Yeah. But, but I mean, the consumer's. Olive oil on the outside, and it's a <laughs> yes, product Canada. We don't throw it
2: well, The consumer's okay. hurt.
1: The consumer, the consumers get hurt from it because the selection varies greatly from province to province province um ontario is right next to quebec obviously so the quebec have their own monopoly the saq similar to the lcbo and they have an um, uh i won't say amazing because i'm talking to someone from california but they have a half decent selection of french wine and michael and i frequently need to get friends and colleagues to mule wine for us oh you're going to montreal or or gatineau for the day here's our shopping list we'll see you in a couple weeks
2: can you can you drive it over state lines not in no, theory, no not province no. lines, I guess. Not legally, but we don't in have checkpoints. Theory, no, continue. you're not allowed yeah. to, you're not allowed to do that. But, um,
0: uh, it, it no, mounties, no it. mounties
1: on horses and the red jackets, uh, yeah. policing provincial borders. Thank god,
2: totally do right. So, so I, I got I got an answer for you though, because you said you wrote olive oil on the side of the box. If they stopped it, the LBCO, LBCO drop stopped the package before they open it you just tell them it's vinegar and they'll say "Eh, because you haven't tasted it yet right correct like have you (laughs) how do you know it's not the stuff i sell is vinegar it's not very good okay so don't don't bother me because how much volatile acid has to be in there before it's no (laughs) longer wine it's vinegar so
0: well as much as i'd love to do that i think it's canada post that that looks it up the lcbo you know all they want is their tax dollars let's be honest Yeah. Um, Anyways, on this
1: week's but, podcast, how to ship wine from province to province uh, <laughs> as discreetly as possible.
2: Well, as you as yeah, you know, exactly. the- discreet is discreet is the word. That's how you do it. If, look, it's no different than the states, except that we have to deal with it 50 ways. You know, we we repealed prohibition, and Joe Kennedy was was instrumental in doing that and making sure that every state got control of its own destiny, because that's more like Guido, you get Florida, and and uh, Hervey, you get you know Canada. I mean, sorry, you get uh, New Jersey. That that's all it really was. And you know, why would they do that? Now the wholesalers of America have a stranglehold direct to consumer shipments. It's the only product in America that you can't ship like. Liberally, any way you want to, and there's been a couple states that have thrown people in jail for doing it. So it's we deal with it all the time. There are it is a moving target. We get some states that decide okay, it's okay for retailers to do it, but not wineries. It's okay for wineries to do it, but not retailers. And then we find out two weeks in the trade magazine that one state open and one state closed. And then the, our biggest problem is, uh, and I guess it's not as big a problem as what you guys are having, but. Uh, New Hampshire, for instance, might charge us by the gallon. Well, wine isn't sold by the gallon. I mean, the case is not even a round gallon, uh, you know, gallonage. Um, so they'll charge a certain percentage by the gallon. So we've got to calculate the 750 ml into gallons. Uh, the state next door might be courts, and the state next door might be not gallons, but it might be percentage of alcohol. So if it's over 14 and a half or under 15 or under 14 and a half, whatever. So we have uh, uh, you know, compliance issues that are a pain. You, you also have dry counties,
0: don't you? Like completely well, dry counties where you can't have booze in them at all.
2: Yes. I'm supposed to be able to keep track of the counties in, for instance, Kentucky that are dry and, and we can ship next door. But I can't ship that to that particular county, uh, Alabama. I I can a customer can join. We're one of the few clubs that actually ships to a, a, an Alabama to Alabama. But we have to ship it to the state store where the consumer can pick it up from there.
0: Now, is it so, true Jack Daniels is actually made in
2: a dry county? That's true. You cannot taste Jack Daniels at the Jack Daniels plant, but probably not too far away, you can drink as much as you want. In fact, Kentucky is a very interesting. Well, Jack Daniels is Tennessee, but Kentucky is. One of the oldest wine states in the country, you can ferment 20,000 gallons a year or 25,000 gallons a year no matter what size you are. In other words, in California, you you can make 100,000 gallons if you want or 200,000 or 2 million. doesn't matter. You just qualify yourself. But in Kentucky, you're not allowed to ferment any more than, I think, 25,000 gallons of anything. But you can distill as much as you want, so figure that one out. So the wine trade in, in Kentucky sort of stifled by the distilled spirits trade. But um, that's hilarious. Uh, let's talk about let's continue talk about COVID for a second because here in Southern California, they just released, uh, are just allowing now outdoor dining, and you know the restaurants were choked off. Uh, I am very close to the to uh, the restaurant business. My daughter's a baker, and we have a cousin here in Southern California who had a restaurant for 30 years. He had 140 seats inside, and then they shut that down. And then they allowed you to open outside, and he had 135 seats. And he was doing much better during the outside dining uh, year over year than the previous year inside dining. Okay, so figure that out. But then the governor of California shut that down. So these poor people... You know, nothing. Zero dollars. The wine trade stops. And if, I, if you and I start a winery tomorrow in Napa, you put up all the money and I'll just do the selling, then um, <laughs> we're going to try to get restaurants to buy the wine because they're going to buy the wine off their list. If it's on the list, they've got to buy more of it. It's like an annuity. I don't have to make a sales call to get more wine sales from you as a restaurant tour. But in many books and wineries, were 80 percent restaurant trade to zero, you know, for the last six to eight months, $0 coming in through, through the restaurant trade. So they're coming to folks like me. And, you know, so we started getting access to wines that I'd never seen before. Silver Oak Camus, Austin, hope places uh, that we're desperate to sell some stuff. Can you help us? And I'm like, I'll help you, but you gotta, don't forget me, you know, in the future, uh, when this thing lifts, so it sounds like in Canada, there's just zero, nothing going on. No direct-to-consumer sales, no walk-in trade, no restaurant sales, no anything. Uh,
0: not, How does it survive?
2: at the at the at the moment. We 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 are
0: pretty much shut down. We are under what they call a state of emergency. Uh, you can you can buy online. Uh, we uh, the, a winery will can ship it to you, uh, but there's no tasting uh, at the door. Um, well, I, I I was in a store today and, and and you couldn't even go into the actual not a wine store but a, a just a retail store and and you had to order online they wouldn't even let you in the store you had, to, you had to pick it up at their door and they gave you the 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 machine to to make your payment so there's no browsing through any stores Wow
1: yeah I, I, so, I got to say though seeing on, on Instagram today like a lot of the the wineries in California starting to take the bookings you know it's I, it gives me a little bit of, of hope for what spring will be in Ontario. Um, so another thing I didn't mention off the introduction is I run a small wine company on top of what we're doing. I wanted to get a better taste of what it takes to run the business and see what it takes to go from, from grape to, grape to bottle. Uh, and I make about 400 cases of wine a year with my company. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, we had 200 cases of rosé that we needed to sell. And I was sitting there talking to my, my business partners because the way it works when you're selling an and 80% of our business was to restaurants. And on top of that, when you sell to restaurants in Ontario, the norm is 30 to 60 days payment. So you drop a case off and you magically hope the restaurant writes a check for you in, in 60 days. And let's just put it this way. When the pandemic started, we, we immediately had to come up with a plan where it was just like, you know, our, our rosé is called when pigs fly. It's got a cute label with some pigs with jetpacks, and we were already Having a plan to print up little stickers of masks to put on the pigs where it's just like, okay, if we're still sitting on inventory in September, we're going to cut the price in half to break even, get these bottles out the door and we're going to call it a a pandemic discount. But some of the restaurants, one of the nice things about the pandemic, if I can call it a nice thing, is some of our alcohol laws got modernized where Mm -hmm. restaurants let you take bottles to go you weren't able to do that before. So what restaurants did was they cut their markups on the bottles and all these restaurants in downtown Toronto, these fancy wine bars with really access to really great wines you don't see at the LCBO are now able to sell wines to go. Um, and, and we were lucky enough to end up on a couple of wine lists where we ended up not having to discount our discount our wine. But the other thing that changed too is as someone who sells to wineries, restaurants are now paying up front. But you know, mm-hmm. it's the same thing where... With certain people in certain agencies, you're having a bit of leeway. But it's exactly like you said, Paul. It's you know we're going to give you a bit of help now. You may have been hesitant to deal with us in the past, but don't forget when this is over. Don't forget us when this is over.
2: That's the key. I mean, yeah. you know we're we' we're, we're, we're buying. We're buying a ton. people The only thing that's happened too is that people are buying better around here. Uh, uh the the type of wines has gone up. the quality of the wine, not quality because all the wines you sell are very good. But uh, the they're I guess this disposable income is, Sitting on their on their kitchen table table now, so they can afford to buy different wines. And I was having this conversation today with an old old friend in the wine business, and I thought, you know, who's going to go back if I'm, if because of COVID I'm buying now Austin Hope forty five dollar Cabernet from Paso. I like that big juicy style. It's going to be hard to say, all right, I'm going to go back to the fifteen dollar Cab I bought from the market. I, it, it, particularly since wine is such an important part of our culture. And and when you're enjoying a good glass of wine and it starts to make you feel something different, uh, how are you going to go backwards and not spend the money that you were spending pre- before? But um, do, did your restaurants or did the ABC – well, we call it the ABC here. We had relaxed laws in California as well. One of them was I get longer to pay. I don't have to pay in 42 days. I can pay in 60 if I want. Uh, the other is they're allowing – restaurants to make cocktails and put them in like a mason jar or even a styrofoam cup with a lid and take them to go is that was that allowed in in in
0: Canada? well that was that was never allowed in uh, during during covid what what they did allow though as i said they, they allowed or as andre said they allowed the restaurants to as long as you sold food with your wine you could take a bottle with you take which, a bottle, is, right. which is nice and that was supposed to expire i think at the end of december and they've they've now made it permanent And people Uh, people have been doing
1: cocktails to go, at the beginning it was clandestine where, you know, like the wine bars were, they got on board with the, hey, you'd show up and buy a a 50 cent bag of chips and walk out of there with your, you know, a Lux Corton for a hundred bucks that you can't get at the LCBO (laughs) and, you know, walk out of there with the chips. But, you know, it's been really fascinating to see how restaurants have hopped on board, like my favorite wine bar in Toronto. Just a shout out, if anyone who's listening to this comes here, go to Archive at 909 Dundas Street, uh, one of the best Beaujolais lists in the country. Um, When I first went there, he was selling little packs of almonds for a buck to go. The second time I went there, he'd gotten his kitchen up and running. They were making homemade hot sauce to go, and it was just like, they actually started selling food that I wanted to take home with me and and not like, you know, French fries and a burger, like pantry items, like stuff that's ready to go.
0: Well, Andre, well, I've also seen that, 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 a, that a, a restaurant around Taroni's is now got a, a shop where you can buy, you know, prepackaged foods, and they have a huge uh, or what it looks like a huge wine shop online. So that's that's kind of neat. What what some restaurants and, and are, are are adapting to this, you know, COVID thing. I think some of these guys always had it in the back of their mind the moment. They start letting me sell wine. I'm going to do it. And the moment they did, they just jumped on it whole hog. Because some of these
2: websites that have popped up, are just amazing and you're like how could you do that in like two months totally you know it's it's really interesting because uh, i think a lot of california restaurants and i don't know about the rest of the states but the, if you own an on-premise license to pour distilled spirits you are are you already you were as easy for you to say you were already allowed to sell bottles out the back or front uh, it wasn't a restriction but i don't think anybody knew that uh because they always thought it was probably wrong so you can do that you can always have done that you but you couldn't take a bottle of Hendricks gin or jack daniels which you can do now it'll, it'll be interesting to find out if you can uh, if that'll continue to go forward
0: um, ours is ours is supposed to ours is now considered permanent because you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube right right that's, that's true that's what i think that's the, that's that's what i think the provincial government here. Uh, has done to, to make it easier. But I can't imagine that when this is all over and we're all back to, you know, eating in restaurants and things like that, uh, that they're going to say, okay, we, we're we're going to, you know, not allow you to do that anymore because I think people would will lose their... Well,
2: well and I think it's... I'll tell you what. Uh, you want a government overreach. I'm going to say it. Uh, there was a time here in California where they started to prescribe to you. They actually put this out as a phenomenal... Uh, uh, overreach by the government because they were doing exactly that not a bag of almonds but they were doing like top ramen you know for 25 cents a, a, and some hot water awesome. and that was food and then you could have a drink and so they started to actually make a list of foods that qualify for food and ones that don't so the most ironic thing was chicken breast qualified as a meal but chicken wings didn't so figure that one out uh, <laughs>
1: Chick- oh, come on. R- ramen wings is in- my meal for God's instant sake. ramen and riesling that's what I think. instant ramen and riesling that is that is a pairing i could get behind her hey if you've got hey, access to some ice wine why not get that sweet and that's salt really there. funny
2: ramen and riesling i like that story you know one of the things we talked about briefly uh, we got a few more minutes but um, i wanted to talk about um the digital presence of wineries in Canada and how that works there, because here it was very obvious uh, when COVID started the, the the larger wineries that had e-commerce sites that had uh, a customer service department, maybe um, they had library reserves that they could dig into if, you know, because we had the fires in, in 2020 and 2018 and, you know, they had library reserves to, to sustain some kind of direct to consumer environment, but it was, Very clear that the small wineries, that the boutique wineries, the farmers that were growing grapes to make wine but didn't know that you should put a customer service rep in front of a monitor and wait for the chat button to go off. Uh Um, Those people are really struggling. The rest of the wineries uh, that had digital presence, you know, they're surviving well. And now maybe you guys want to, you know, come to Napa with me and we'll find some distressed property and Uh augment the Flying Pig Rosé. Oh, I Please, know. My, I know. Sorry.
1: I know. My wife would be all about that. She uh, every time a <laughs> so, bottle of California Cab comes in this house, there's practically a straw in the bottle.
0: I uh, thought that was a Washington Cab.
1: And Washington Cab. Yeah, she just yeah. like oh, she wow. just likes big juicy, big juicy cabs. So yeah, you know, I'd, I'd be game to be down in Napa in a in a heartbeat. Um, no, I, it's it's sort of the same thing here. But I mean, it's a fortunate thing about just the Ontario wine industry is small. Um, it's it's very small. So most of the people who are selling are are very very tiny. And because we have the 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 monster that is the LCBO, and you know I say monster in terms of size, I mean it's a very civilized way to buy wine. So no huge knocks at them. But you know the cost, the consumer base, even for a medium sized winery, it should be doing like five to fifteen thousand cases. Is you know it's usually as simple as picking up the phone, and calling the winery. I know for my when when pigs fly, rosé. I was doing some direct to consumer. We were doing free shipping on six bottles or more, and you know the twenty thirty people who were doing that when we were doing our bottle runs. It was pretty easy to easy to manage, um, and I think even for people doing five to fifteen thousand cases, you know we've we've got pretty decent infrastructure to get online stores set up quickly.
0: You know the the, the interesting part of the whole thing is the LCBO is this monolith, and they they're. Online presence
2: really stinks.
0: Oh, it's gotten uh, better. So, they they, they oh, pivoted yeah. pretty quick. They pivoted it, pretty quick. Well,
2: you try try healthcare in California. You know, but, most but
0: I but I mean, you know, being who they are, Andre, they should be able to. You know, you should be able to grab any bottle uh, on, put it in your cart. You know, uh, um, pick it up at at a, at an LCBO they it's just it's such it's such a weird they
2: don't, care. They, don't, weird, care. They,
0: don't they, they just want to sell as much wine as they possibly can and they don't care how they sell it no. uh, their online uh, is just their their shopping carts their what wines they have available and not available to put in a cart it's just a nightmare to to shop with them online it, they, it what it is the LCBO's thing is a resource to find it if a shop has wine and then you go yeah, you know really I actually
1: to... sorry I I do want to there's something we pass over real real quick that I just want to circle back cuz I I don't know the answer to Michael. So you said you were drinking better during the pandemic and and Paul for me I was drinking better cuz I have a, a a new wine collection. Michael has 2000 bottles in his cellar. I have a a few hundred but Let's just put it this way. I hit the Burgundy and the Bordeaux that I was supposed to be saving for a special occasion because it's the world's ending. What else are you going to drink? I need to know. And I know in Ontario, talking to various wineries, the sales spike for the local wineries was for the the cheap stuff, the entry level stuff. So people in Ontario grabbed the cheap stuff. Michael, what were you drinking at the beginning of the pandemic? I need to know this. Were you drinking more expensive (laughs) or less expensive?
2: You guys well, hash this out, yeah. Don't, don't worry. Well, I guess in the in
0: the summertime, I started just uh, playing around, you know, because Andre makes it sound like I have this this great seller. and I, I have a you know I have about 20, 20 to twenty five hundred bottles in there, but a lot of it is is, is is still very plonkish, uh, and I have like twenty year old bottles of you know stuff that was never meant to age twenty years. Mm-hmm. And the fun part is, is to open some of them up and go, oh my God, you know, that Yellowtail Reserve actually did act- manage to, to survive 50 <sighs> years. As hey, hey that was
1: before Yellowtail went to 20 grams per liter residual sure. cigarette. At one right. point, it was wine. But,
0: it's amazing. Well, it's a good I end up opening five to find one. Uh, but well, I, it, it's the shock the fun part. that $12 bottle that has aged 12 years. That's kind of fun.
2: That's the fun part, and I. And the question was, did you? What happened at the end? Were you drinking well, at the end? we were still in it, but are you? Did you up that plonk to double plonk, or what? No. What you end up?
0: No, I still oh. have plonk <laughs> to,
2: to to drink. I, I'm I'm planning
0: to drink every bottle in that cellar, or at least open the cork.
2: <laughs> you know, there's a great article uh, in the. Um, New York Times by Eric Asimov this this last week and it, it articulated the idea that there are some very fine wines, really, and that's what I taste every Tuesday, um, that are very reasonably priced and can give you the same experience that somebody who's handpicking, you know, a, a Clola Roche or something. Um, even though it's 12 or 15 or $20. And we've all known that. We all know that the value of wine is not necessarily the price, but it's the experience of wine that that we want people to understand and, and, and you know, get their arms around. And the way he wrote it, and I I'm, he's going to be on the podcast in a week or two, um, was fascinating to explain that everyday glass of wine can have just the same ethereal value as the Clos Vujo. And, I I want to I want to peel that subject back with him just that subject alone probably for forty five minutes because it's so valid and and that's what you're saying now you you well even though you have to go through five glass five bottles to find the one um, you're finding the one and that's that's pretty fun to do and that's what the experience I, of wine I, is about I
0: I totally believe that that uh, everybody can drink well for well here in uh, Ontario for under twenty five <laughs> uh, in the states under twenty around fifteen. I think you can always find a really great bottle of wine that you're going to enjoy. And I think that's what it's all about. It's about the consumer's enjoyment. Because I've don't, i I've, I've talked to many people. I, I teach wine classes. And you get them tasting and they go, oh, I tasted this $100 bottle. I didn't like it as much as I like the $20 bottle. One, it's all yeah, about the taste. But happens. two, if you can't tell the difference between a $100 and a $20 bottle, then buy the $20 bottle.
2: What's the point of buying the $100? you are right. Hey guys, this has been a fascinating conversation. I want to pick it up uh, next time. I've got to wrap it up today, but uh, oh, would love some, to so would many love subjects to, to talk about.
1: Matt, even just hearing that things in California aren't uh, the land of milk and honey that we think. But I think it's the reason why people like people like you, and if we can pat ourselves on the back a little bit as well, the reason why podcasts like this are important is to just help. You know, make that connection between agriculture and and the people who make the wine and wine and help the governments get their heads out of their asses. That uh, wine isn't (laughs) a big scary alcoholic thing, and we need to start helping the people who make it and the farmers.
2: I I totally agree, and you, you nailed it on the head. This has been a fascinating conversation. I think we can talk for hours, and I think. That we can come back with. Uh, I want to talk about food and wine in Canada. I want to talk about uh, uh, the continuing effects, of the post COVID effects. Assuming it's, it's freeing up here, um, there's, there's many subjects you guys are uh, who to talk to. I appreciate the time. No, thank Thanks, you for Paul. having appreciate us. appreciate yeah. being on. Cheers. Cool. Cheers.
1: That was a lot of fun. Like that was a lot of fun. I mean, it, it, I always find it interesting to talk to people about how wine laws and distribution works in uh, other countries. But I mean, it was nice to get the COVID perspective as well.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I read a book years ago uh, by a guy who is a who's a winemaker and he was a lawyer. Uh, and I one of these days I'll I'll have to look it up for our listeners because it's a fascinating book about how wine laws um, came into the U.S. and um, and how it went state by state as Paul was talking uh, about. And so that book is is fantastically uh, full of information and 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 really eye opening to everybody. Thinks the U.S. is. Um, um, you know, the the Wild West of uh, wine and booze, but it's actually, you know, 50 Wild Wests.
1: Yeah. Anyways, I'm looking forward to uh, when we can get a chance to chat with him again because I think we've got a lot of other stuff we could talk, to talk about. I think we could spend days. Uh, so anyways, uh, you can support this podcast, Two Guys Talking Wine, by checking us out on Patreon. We uh, very much appreciate the support. When people do take the time to... Help us out. It is not expensive to make this podcast, but we do have a few bills we have to pay every year.
0: Yeah, so we'd appreciate, uh, you know, a few dollars. And uh, if you listen to the all the way to the end of the podcast, you can hear who uh, has become a producer for us. Ooh, very exciting. I'm Andre Prue from
1: AndreWineReview.ca. Follow me on social media at AndreWineReview.
0: And I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. Can be found as The Grape Guy or Michael Pincus on a variety of social medias. As always, Andre,
2: I think I'm going to be mellow today. Yeah?
0: Good night. Okay.
2: Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.
1: This episode of Two Guys Talking Wine was produced by Jim Ray. And Adam Duran.